This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That to be joined on Football CFB by Carl Fletcher, who played for Bournemouth, West Ham, Watford, Crystal Palace, among a few others, but is currently in football as the loans manager at Bournemouth as well. First of all, Carl, thanks for joining me. No worries, no worries. I hope you're well. I'm, I'm very good, thank you. And the first question that I've got for you, I mentioned in the intro the fact that you're the loans manager for, for Bournemouth. What does, what, what does the role of a loans manager involve? Um, yeah, so I think it's a fairly new role in football. I think um, a, a club like you know Chelsea, Man City, uh, I've been doing it for for a fair number of years and, and done it very successfully. Um, so basically, you know, with with the younger players coming through, maybe some older players that that aren't involved in the first team, we'll, we'll look to get our players maybe out on loan, um, and and yeah, just basically kind of take care of that really. Um, whether it's you know trying to find a club for them to go to. Um, in some instances maybe doing the deal and then obviously once they're out on loan just making sure on the point of call watching their games um, giving feedback to, to the people at our club on how they're getting on um, touching base with the, the coaches and the, the management team at the club that they're on loan at to, to make sure everything's going smoothly um, I think it's um, it, it's a role that I've really enjoyed it's great because you get out and see so many different games at so many different levels um, and it's good to see players developed. I think it's a key one for us that we want players to go out and loan, especially the younger ones. Um, but we don't want to hold their hand because it's a kind of a scenario where we want them to kind of grow up and develop as human beings as well to get out and, and move away from home and, and have different um, environments to kind of go and, and play football and, and try and do well, basically. What's it like working with Eddie Howe? Because for me, he's a manager who I've got so much admiration and respect for because... I love the way he wants his teams to play. And I also think that people see him as being sort of a quiet guy, but I always, I always think there must be, be more to Eddie than just being a quiet, charming man because you don't have the success he's had without having a, a streak in you that's able to make tough choices at tough times. Yeah, I think so. But I think any any successful manager or any successful person in business or, or whatever field you're in, I think always has to have that, that little edge to them. Um, but yeah, working for him is good. He's very driven. Um, obviously, I was there doing 18s and 21s for, for five years. So we worked fairly closely. But he, yeah, he, he just drives everyone. He's kind of that leader where um, he wants everyone to improve. You know, he'd ask himself to improve, try and get better all the time. And then that's kind of what he relays down to, to his players and also to his staff. Um, I think he was always very keen of not, not sitting still, um, always trying to get the next, you know, what can I improve on, whether it's you know, training sessions, whether it's data, what, whatever it is from a personal point of view, he wants you to try and do that. Um, and yes, of course, of course he has a, um, a steely side to him, definitely. Um, but that's, that's part of his, his makeup that's made him so successful. Um, and I think the main thing is he has a, he has a clear plan and everyone kind of knows where they stand. And, um, you know, you either you either buy into it or you don't. Um, but you know, I obviously know I'm a little bit better. We used to live together when when we was younger, when we were both coming through at Bournemouth. So 
I've seen a different side to him in, in certain situations, but but probably what things that I can't really say on uh, on recorded uh, podcasts. So, <laughs> but no, no, he, he's very good, and I think that that breeds all down the club, really. Um, like I said, whether it's medical staff, coaching staff, academy staff, you know, everyone's on the same kind of page where they're all looking to prove on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to to help the players at the club um, kind of progress and get better. And in terms of Bournemouth as a club, we're going to come to the fact that you were there as a player, you came through there. Just how different is the club now to the club that you joined as a kid? Because I imagine it's been a, one hell of a transformation. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing really. Like I said, I, I come through, I, I joined Bournemouth when I was about 11 so and then stayed all the way there till I was like 24 and obviously my, my, my academy, um, my youth team there and I nearly didn't get through that because it was, you know, the club was in administration and we nearly went out of business um, and always kind of, you know, hovered around the, the League One, League Two areas. So, um, yeah, massive changes from, I would say, from a, a, a materialistic point of view. Um, obviously, you know, the cars are a little bit nicer and, you, you know, there's a, there's a few nicer things and maybe the lunches are a bit, a bit more... Um, uh, well thought out and stuff but I think that the biggest thing that, that I've noticed since, since going back and obviously the, the first team being in the Premier League it still kept that that family community feel which I think even back in the time when we were going through administration and when we was in the lower leagues we always had that and I think that's a big part of the, the management team and the CEO and the, the owners and stuff have, have tried to keep that and they've done that really well because I think that's a real important part of, of Bournemouth as a football club it's not just the football club it's the, it's the whole town and the community as well, which gives it its uh, almost its heartbeat to a degree. Um, and to keep that with with so many different types of players coming from different backgrounds coming into the into the the town to kind of play, it's really important that they understand that the the history of the club and how they where we've kind of come from to where we are now to to, to kind of buy into that. And I think that's really important to get the best out of the players when they come into there, and ultimately the best out of the the team and the club as a whole. In terms of coming through at Bournemouth as a kid, Mel mm. Matchin is the manager, someone who's been there and done it within football. What was it like coming through in the sort of late 90s because football's changed an awful lot since then? And in terms of facilities, what were they like? Yeah, yeah, it was very, very, um, very different. Um, I think, especially coming through from, from the youth team, I think, you know, I think it's, it's older players well documented that they say it's, it's so different and that they can't, that the younger players now can't do the kind of jobs and have the responsibilities almost that we was expected to do. I mean, you know, we had the usual, you had to clean the boots and you would, you know, be a little bit wary of going to speak to the first team players and clean the changing rooms. There were some very, very dubious uh, chemical stuff that we used that was, you know, bright pink. I'm pretty sure wasn't very health and safety, but it was it was a great time. It was like you were there to work hard and to try and progress as footballers. And I think that was the thing. And everything was kind of stripped back bare to what it was. Um, you know, wherever we trained, I know you know at the time, I think Sean O'Driscoll was my my youth team manager and some of my younger age group manager as well. That it was, you know, we didn't always have. Um, a place to train so we'd be looking around Bournemouth for certain areas to train we didn't have loads of footballs didn't have loads of equipment but we made the best of what it was and I think that that really stood me in good stead going forward throughout my career where I never really needed too much stuff in terms of facilities and this and that and yes of course it's great if you know you go to a big club and they've got these amazing training grounds and pools and things like that but I was always kind of you know you've got 
you've got a bit of grass, you've got a couple of balls, you've almost got enough to, to kind of get by, get by and have something to improve within that day. So it was very humbling for me uh, when I was younger. I was very nervous at times, especially moving into the first team with, with, with Mel Machin as manager, um, which, is a, which is a period that I had to overcome. But it was very, like I said, I was always didn't need too much to kind of just get on with it. And, and, I, and I feel that keeps the, the pureness of the football almost. Like when you're out playing with your mates, you don't have a lot, but you go out and enjoy yourself. And I, and I like that kind of feeling when I was um, training on a day-to-day basis. You make your debut for the club as a 17-year-old. Just sum mm. up how you felt. Was it, was it a case of you, you were so young that you weren't really nervous, you just took it in your stride, or were you absolutely bricking it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was really nervous. It was just nervous. It was just like, don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. I think that was my kind of overriding fear. Um, just almost get through it. But I was obviously really, really excited. Um, and I think back in the time, like you say, when you're younger, it's just, it's just the norm. You're just playing football again, kind of thing. You don't really kind of see the bigger picture, um, and you just go there and try and do as best you can. Um, I always remember it as Grimsby away. So, you know. Maybe not as uh, uh, prestigious as uh, certain other places for people to make their debuts, but um, no, it was great. I think I came on just after we went two one down as well. But it was it was all part of the process, and it was brilliant. I loved it. Just the whole thing, going up on the coach, staying overnight, all new experiences that at the time, you know, you sometimes you don't feel you're ready for. You're really out your comfort zone, but you, you've just got to go and do it, and just got to j- jump into it and, and hope it goes well. And I think it's the the fear of failure, I think, sometimes can can cripple people um, in certain things. But um, like I said, I think the age and the, my naivety in certain things probably helped with that. And it was just, uh, yeah, something I'm really proud of. I'm really, really pleased I got my debut at 17. Playing in the centre of the park, just what's it like when, when you are that 17, 18-year-old lad coming through? Because I imagine we're talking about the late 90s, early 2000s here. So I imagine there was a fair few physical players that, wanted to stamp their authority, especially on you as a young player in the opposition sides? Yeah, yeah, there was. I think um, I think the way we played when we was we was younger at Bournemouth as well, we always had a, a kind of reputation of passing the ball and things like that, which was great, which was the way we brought up. And, and we got to a stage after once I turned like 18, 19, we had a, a really young squad, which was brilliant. And we was all kind of brought up the same way. Um, and I remember there's a few games, I think we kept the ball um for, for for long periods and maybe winning the game um i think it was away at Notts county actually and um yeah and and i think one of the the opposition older midfielders was maybe getting the hump and i maybe classic cocky younger footballer maybe give him a little bit of stick and more than rightly so five minutes later header goes up he wins the ball i come away with five stitches and that was a, a quite a swift lesson um in just have a little bit um little respect for the players that have been there and done it kind of thing so yeah there was there was a little bit of that um but it was great do you know what I mean I was I was always one of them that I would I would try and be combative and and you know stand up against the opposition and and not go to war but but put everything on the line and as soon as the whistle blows you 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 shake hands and you you talk about it and you carry on so but there was a many a time I got kicked in the air or had to be in the physio room from from maybe being a little bit too too mouthy at times, definitely. <laughs> we mentioned Eddie earlier on. 
what was he like as a player? Because we all know him as a manager and as a coach, but by all accounts, he was a highly rated prospect. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, he'd he done really well come for at Bournemouth playing centre-half. Um, he was just someone that was fully dedicated to his craft and always trying to improve pretty much the traits that he's taken on um, to his management career. Um, I think he always reviewed his games, would always um, look back and see what he could what he could do better. Um, and I think also from a younger age, he was quite, um, he would always question, he would, he would always test the, the coaches, you know, why are we doing this? What's this reason for this? Which, which was quite a... I suppose probably quite different from a lot of us where we were kind of just going to train and just do it and get on with it and do what the management asked. But he would always need a reason behind it, I think, to get the best out of him. So um, it's a real shame that, that obviously his, his career got cut short after a, after a move to Portsmouth um, under Harry Redknapp through injury and stuff. So that, that's a real shame. But on hindsight, that might give him that extra little bit of determination to, to really focus down and push through within the, the coaching and management side. But yeah, he was he was very highly thought of at, at Bournemouth. Um, and like I said, it's just a real shame that his career cut short in the end. For yourself, you, you come through as, at 17, as we mentioned, establish yourself in the team then. You become the captain of the side. I mean, just, just mm. describe what that felt like. Yeah, yeah. No, really proud. Really proud. Obviously, I'd, I'd you know, been in Bournemouth, lived in Bournemouth since I was about two. Um, went to you know, they're my first live games I used to go to with my dad. So you see all the players coming through. Um, yeah, just just a really proud moment. Um, like I said, I didn't, I didn't feel too much pressure with it. I think I'd always been just one of them players that, that probably was quite vocal on the pitch anyway. So um, it, it, I just used to it, really. I think I just, um, I was lucky enough, I had some good older pros um, at the time as well. Neil Young, Marcus Browning, Steve Fletcher, they, they, they were there as well to, to kind of, you know, help and give that extra little bit of advice or just be there if I need someone to talk to. But um, like I said, I think we were very lucky at, at that time with, with the squad we had. I think everyone was very um, comfortable in their own ability and comfortable in, the, in what the team were trying to do. So it was, um, it was easy just to, just to kind of, you know, help people go in the right direction. I think the main thing for me was just trying to keep standards as high as possible on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I think if you can do that, it just helps everyone improve um, and push forward as a group. Talk me through the playoff final because not only a memorable time for Bournemouth, but a memorable time for yourself over Lincoln City. Um, yeah, it was uh, a massive day, really. Do you know what I mean? It was. Um, it was. Uh, it was a funny one, really, because we played Lincoln not long before the end of the season at home, and we lost one nil at home. Um, and, but I kind of knew that day we played really well. Um, and although we lost, I kind of had a comforting feeling that if we got them in the final, I think we, we would be okay. And I think a lot of the squad felt that way as well. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, it was just great to, to, to have that kind of, um, again, when I talked about the community of Bournemouth as the town with the club, um, it was, you know, everyone going down to Wales to watch the game you know, seeing people in their cars, people talking about, oh, yeah, we're going down for the weekend to watch the game, blah, blah, blah. To kind of be a part of that, that everyone in the town was kind of, you know, a momentous occasion was was amazing. Um, I think the fact that they closed the roof at the at the Millennium, you know, really helped for the atmosphere. Um, and for the game to go the way it did was fantastic. And, and you know, lucky for me, like I was playing centre-half at the time, you know, I was lucky enough to get two goals um, both with my head, but it was yeah, it's a fantastic day. It was you know one of the best days 
um, in my footballing career and something I'm really proud of. And I think that the, the squad that we had, we'd all come through together. We, most of us had been through the relegation the year before. We'd, we'd all known each other for a good five or six years. So to kind of come back up and get promotion that way with them players that we're all similar ages and all good friends was, was you know, um, an added bonus as well. And it was a, a great day for both myself personally, but I think for the town and for the football club as well. And I think a lot of people still talk about it now as, as one of their best, their best days out. Like I said, just as that, that final feel of actually going somewhere and winning. Describe your pride as well, uh, breaking into the Welsh setup, because I imagine for, for any player growing up to play international football is really the pinnacle for so many. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got the call. I think I was still at Bournemouth at the time, got the call. I think it was a Sunday night or late Sunday afternoon saying that I was getting called up. Uh, and yeah, couldn't really believe it really. Again, a little bit, the young thing didn't think too much of it and just kind of, right, just got to pack my bag, get in my car and, and kind of shut up to Cardiff from, from Bournemouth. So it was, it was such a whirlwind because literally went to bed the next morning we was training and I'm in there training with, you know, John Hartson and Robbie Savage and Ryan Giggs. And it's like, oh my God, this is, this is kind of come out of nowhere. And I didn't really have time to kind of process it all. And then before you knew it, I'd made my debut on the Wednesday against Scotland coming on a sub. Um, it, yeah, just fantastic. Um, just everything involved with it, really. The experiences of, you know, playing with, with fantastic players. Playing against fantastic players, um, traveling around Europe, seeing different countries that I would have never got to see, um, and just having that whole pride of, of of playing internationally for your country was was something that that I'm I'm really really proud of. And and again, like most of your career, you don't really think about it too much while you're in it. But as soon as you stop playing and you look back, um, it's something I'm really proud of. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get um, 36 caps. Um, I'm not sure how many good appearances were in there, but but no, I'm really proud of the uh, the actual the actual time that I spent there and made some really good friends that I'm still friends with today. You mentioned some of the big characters there, John Hartson, who interviewed um, only last week. What a character he is! But yeah. I've got to ask you about the likes of Robbie Savage. I mean, he's a he's a guy who gets a lot of stick from from certain elements of fans, and and he he sometimes plays up to that. And and why not? What was he actually like as a pro to train with? Because you get a lot of people that have played with him that say he was actually underrated and, and he was criticised for his ability probably more than he should have been. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So I'd obviously, you know, before I joined up, you have a, you have a pre-idea of what you think someone is like. Um, but actually going there and seeing him training on a daily basis, uh, you realise what a good footballer he was um, and probably never got the recognition fully um, of how good he actually was um, with his technical ability and how he did in midfield. So that, that was, you know, one of the biggest surprises for me. Um, he was a good guy. He was a lively guy. You know, he likes to, you know, um, you know, keep everyone happy and, and was jovial and, and, and would keep everything lighthearted, um, which was great for the squad. Um, I wouldn't play with him loads because, you know, not long after he soon, he soon retired. But I think the fact that, that he was so good technically, you realise, you know, the players that you're you're playing with or, or, or and training with, at times there was on another level and certain things, and it gives you that that good bit of um, what's that, that that extra bit of hunger to try and improve and get to their level kind of thing, which I thought was great. And you could also, you know, I, I tried to kind of take that back when I went back to Bournemouth to kind of keep them levels as high as I could. 
Um, and sometimes you get there, sometimes you don't. But but it was just good to see them up at close hand. And these players that are doing it week in, week out in the Premier League and seeing what, what it takes to be at that level. And in terms of breaking into that Wales setup, not not long after that, you get the call to say that West Ham United are interested in you. Just mm-hmm. how good did that make you feel also? Because I imagine for yourself, it was always a dream to, to play in the Premier League. Yeah, I think at the time, you know, West Ham were in the Championship and obviously Bournemouth, at the, again, at the time, didn't have loads of money and we would always look to sell players. Um, and it wasn't really something I was thinking about too much. I was always kind of the case of, look, if you do well enough, something will happen, you might get a move or the team will do well or something like that. So, um, yeah, it kind of come out a little bit out of nowhere. It didn't really take long once the bid come in and, and, and Bournemouth accepted it. Um, and I remember, which, which would totally probably be different today, that I'd actually agreed everything in personal terms, the club had accepted the thing, and I still had a game to play. Um, on the Monday, it was like a bank holiday Monday, we played Luton away, so I played in that game knowing that literally the next day I was going to West Ham, which like I said this day and age would never happen because of you know fear of injuries and would mess up the deal and things like that. So. Yeah, it was it was it was a strange game when I played in it. Um, obviously, it's so much emotion and so many years at Bournemouth. You know, I remember um, Sean O'Driscoll um, telling the rest of the squad after the game. You know, I kind of broke down a little bit um, because it was an end of a, a period in my life, and then obviously then moving to West Ham, which at the time I never really realised how big a club it was. But it was literally you know two days when you get there you soon realise how big it is in terms of support and in terms of the players and the club as a whole. Um, and moving out of Bournemouth into London, it was it was the best thing I'd done. Um, it just um, broadened my my knowledge, my interacting with people, living in a, a different part of, of England. So um, I'm really pleased that I made that move and, w- and we had a good couple of years there. You know, that, that first year that I went there, we got promoted to the Premier League through the playoffs and the second year we got to the FA Cup final. So... Um, yeah, it, it was a, um, a great decision for me to, to go and I learned a lot. And again, we had a, a good squad that, that I've still got friends with now um, in that period of, of which, you know, was, was, was good success for West Ham at the time. One of the obvious questions I really need to, to get your perspective on, Carl, is, is Upton Park because obviously the, the new stadium mm. now, the Olympic Stadium, 60,000 seats, massive arena. But Everyone you speak to, including West Ham fans, tells you it's just no Upton Park. What was it like playing there? Uh, it, it, hey, it was brilliant when we was winning. Uh, not so much when we was losing. Um, no, I th- it was it was an intimidating stadium. It's one of my favourite stadiums I've, I've ever played at. And I know that yes, the, the West Ham fans are demanding, but most fans are. And you know, if we're especially, I think when we was in the Championship, um, if we weren't, you know, kind of where we need to be or if we weren't winning the game or we were getting beat, then, then they, they let you know. Um, so, um, you know, it kind of toughened you up a little bit. But I think when when we was winning, especially when we were in the Premier League, you know, I think the Upton Park and, and the fans within the stadium easily, you know, would have helped us for, for 10, 12 points a season. Um, it was intimidating. The atmosphere was great. Um, and I think you knew, the opposition teams knew, going to that stadium in a full house, they, you know, straight away they're back up against it and it gives you that little bit of, um, that little bit of extra energy knowing that, that your opposition are going to be, you know, borderline questioning themselves. So, uh, look, I've been to the, the, the Olympic Stadium 
Um, yeah, it's a lovely stadium. Don't get me wrong. Um, fantastic facilities and stuff there, but it just doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel like a football stadium, which is a real shame. Um, and I, I was I was bitterly disappointed that that West Ham left there, and I think like you say, a lot of people were because like I said that you have so many good times there, so many good results so many big results there and so many memories. Uh, it's a shame to, to kind of leave it all behind. One of the players you played with at West Ham who I've got to ask you about because genuinely one of my favourite players to watch in football growing up was, was Teddy Sheringham. Just just yeah. how good a player was Teddy even at the age he was at when he was at West Ham? It was, yeah, it was a brilliant player. I think, I think the good thing for Ted and why he went on for so long, you know, he always kind of, um, I mean, apart from when he was really young, he was always kind of the same player. It wasn't like he had he was a, a massive athletic ability, you know, in terms of pace. Um, that that as as time went on, he lost. You know, he had the same the same skill set. Mentally, he was very sharp and ahead of a lot of people. Um, and he always looked after himself physically um, to make sure that he could play. Um, and it it was great to play with him. I mean, Ted Ted's a, a good friend of mine, um, and to get to know him in his character, he just so so confident in his ability, um, which is fantastic. But to back it up with some of the stuff he does is, is fantastic. And he came into to the club at a great time, I think, for the, for the whole team um, to help us on our journey, getting promoted and obviously in the Premier League as well. And we're still contributing. And um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a great honour for me to say, say that you've you know, been able to play with someone like that. And I think when we talk about the standards... Um, and the detail within the standards on a daily basis in terms of you know the level that you need to train at, I think he, he enforced that um, and and what he expected because obviously he had been at you know Spurs, Man United, top clubs that that in England and things where he was getting that on a regular basis, and he wanted the the players at West Ham to give him that that level as well, which in turn helped us all improve. Um, but on the flip side with it, he's a nice guy as well, which is which is a double bonus. So, um, yeah, it was fantastic. Like I said, we had some some great players at the time. You know, you know, Yossi Ben Ayoun come in, kind of out no out of nowhere, a bit of an unknown when we was in the Premier League, and, and what a fantastic player he was. Um, bit of a waste of time in terms of training. You, you didn't want him on your five side team, but but come a Saturday, he was a he was a game changer and someone that could really flip a game on its head and had, had consistent quality. So. Mm. Um, no, really lucky, really lucky to be able to, to play with those guys and, and be able to call some of my mates as well. One of the other guys I need to ask about is uh, Shaka Hislop because I watch a lot of, of ESPN FC and, and I, I like him. I think he, he comes across as quite a funny guy, but very laid back as well. Is that the way he was as a player? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much what you see is what you get with Shaka. Like, fantastic goalie. Um, but his demeanour gave that calmness, I think, to the rest of the team when he played, which was which was great. You know, if you can get that from your goalie, um, I think what you don't realise sometimes if you if you're not a club, but when you're you're up close and personal with him, what a, such a big guy he is. You know, he must be six four, six five. You know, quite thick set, so he's he's quite daunting. But yeah, real casual, um, and and it it bred throughout the team a little bit. And you know, things sometimes would get a little bit heated or a little bit not too sure. You'd always know that Shaka have a great big smile on his face, um, and just tell everyone to like relax a little bit. So um, great character, you know, someone that that all the the squad really likes. Um, but aside from that, great goalie as well, um, and he's done fantastically well for us. Two games in particular at West Ham. I've got to ask you about 
the Tottenham game where they need to win to qualify for the Champions League, known as Lasagna Gate to, to yeah. so many. See, when you were playing in that game, was there a sense that there's something just wasn't right with that Tottenham team? No, not really. Not really. Um, I didn't really see anything. I didn't hear anyone say anything um, in terms of the players. Um, obviously, you're fully focused on your own game kind of thing. And obviously, you know, Spurs, West Ham's a massive game. Um, there was always a bit of rivalry there. And it's one that, you know, if you go there and you do well and you win the game, you you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic day and it's a fantastic few months after. So um, I think we were just fully, fully focused on the game. Um, going into it fairly confident as a team um, and then obviously we got word that there, there may be a few issues and then obviously kick, kick-off was put back um, but yeah we just went out to do as best we can I think the, the, the biggest issue I had is my, my brother-in-laws and my, my in-laws they're all Spurs fans um, so I think at the time I think my brother-in-law Casey was actually in a pub full of Spurs fans uh, with all his mates um, watching the game they obviously all knew that that you know, he had a, a relationship with myself and then I've obviously I've scored the first goal. He said the daggers he got of people looking at him, do you know what I mean, going, What's up? Like what's what's going on here? This ain't right. Um after I scored, I think he just wanted to hide and let the ground open up and swallow him whole. So um that didn't go down too well in me in Law's in Law's house. But you know, it was a it was a great day for us, um, in terms of West Ham, you know, leading on going into into the cup final and stuff. So um yeah, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think um, the meals I got from my mother-in-law were, were quite as good after that as a little bit of a, um, a revenge thing. But um, no, it was a great day and it, it was a good win for everyone. The FA Cup final, of course, is is another memorable day um, for so many reasons. Stephen Gerrard, mm. the Stephen Gerrard final, so many people refer to it as. You start the match. Just what was it like playing in an FA Cup final and what was it like playing in the game and then when you come off and you're watching it from the sidelines, watching that drama? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It was... I think the thing was, I'd, I'd obviously played at the Millennium with, with Wales um, and obviously had big crowds there um, and obviously played there with a full house as well. So I'd, I'd, I wasn't too you know, concerned about that kind of scenario. I think the biggest difference, though, was with, with the FA Cup final was the noise. The noise was so so intense um even in the warm-up and stuff literally people five yards away you could you couldn't you, you couldn't hear them um i think that was that was quite a, a big thing I, I remember from from the day um in terms of the actual game it, you know it was a little bit of not not of a blur but a little bit of a um kind of went quite quickly i mean we didn't have loads of possession even though we got three goals in the game um and i just felt like the way the game was going um, we felt fairly comfortable, you know. Obviously, we got goals at good times, and I think even going into the into the last few stages, I think I come off in around about the 70th minute. So even sitting on the bench, you could see that the players were, the Liverpool players were tired. There was on the floor, a lot of them on the floor. They had cramp. Do you know what I mean? I felt about, you know, you felt fairly comfortable with where we were at. You thought we could just see this out. Um, and then he just smashed one in from nowhere, which is uh, which is pretty ridiculous, to be honest. So um, and pretty heartbreaking. Um, and again, something you don't really realise until you probably finish playing, um, and you look back at and you think like we were literally thirty seconds away from from being FA Cup winners, which you know you go down in in history. 
um, especially in West Ham's history. So it's a real, real disappointment. Um, obviously, a very you know great privilege to actually play in the in the FA Cup finals. You know, I'm sure you were, and I was definitely. You grew up watching that game. Um, uh, and living through the years of, of all the different teams that won the FA Cup, but um, yeah, it, it was a massive, massive blow, um, and something that was that, that was really disappointing that we were so close. I think as soon as it went into into extra time, I think although you know you, you wanted to be positive and, and felt we could win, um, I think they always had the upper hand, especially going to penalties because I think through in that season, I think they'd had a few penalty shootouts where they'd they'd come through. Uh, and one with with Rainer making a few saves and stuff. So uh, really disappointing. Like I said, a great day in terms of an experience and stuff, but just something you want to come away with and win. I think I'm always very keen to, if you're going to do something, if you're going to go into a competition or you get to a final, it's not it's not worth just being there. You know I mean, you want to go there and actually come away with medals and win it because ultimately when you look back at your career, um, it's fine saying, yeah, I played this many times or I made this much money or blah, blah, blah. But you want to, you know, I won this, I won this. Do you know what I mean? You want to put that and that's that's what you're in the game to do. Um, so it was, a, it was a big blow from that um, that perspective. You, from West Ham, you make the move to Crystal Palace. What mm. was it like at Palace at that time? Because it was under Simon Jordan's ownership and there had been a turnover of managers quite a few times. Steve Bruce, prior to you going, had left in strange circumstances. Ian Dewey was yeah. another one. So what was it like when you got there? Yeah, no, it, it was a bit strange. I think I had a year left on my, my West Ham contract. Um, and I wasn't, although I played in the last few games of that season in the FA Cup final, I wasn't, I wasn't playing loads um, in terms of I was kind of, you know, on the sometimes in the match day squad, sometimes not even in the match day squad. So I got to a stage where I wanted to play again. Um, and I mean, in hindsight, I probably would have stayed for the extra year um, because there was a lot of changes after that. Different managers coming at West Ham, and you feel sometimes, you know, maybe if you'd have been in that scenario, there might have been different outcomes. But um, made the move because I wanted to play. Uh, and yeah, you know, look, good club, great club, Palace. Simon Jordan, you know, for whatever you know people say about him, he was very dedicated to, to Crystal Palace. I just think it was a it was a funny time. I think they just got relegated from the Premier League. I think they were in a process of trying to get rid of some that were on big money from the Premier League and bring some others in. Um, and there was kind of a, a mix mash in between that, especially at pre-season. There was some had still been there from the relegation, some new ones coming in, and there was a lot of players and a lot of people that didn't really know. Um, the direction that maybe the club was going in. And I think it was quite a difficult period for, for Peter Taylor, the manager, to, to kind of see that through. Um, but, you know, great experience for me for, to, to, to play for that another big club. Um, exciting, lots of ups and downs. And obviously in that time we had, you know, Peter Taylor left and then Neil Warnock come in. Um, it's great to, you know, work with, with, with Neil and see, you know, you know, the most successful manager in terms of getting teams up to the, the Premier League from the Championship to see what he does at, at first hand. That was, that was a great experience. Um, yeah, and it was just it was just one of them that, that like I said, I had some, some, some good memories, some, some not so good memories, but it was all part of the, the learning process in a, in a career of a footballer. So um, I spent three years there. Looking back, would I have tried to have left earlier? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but like I said, there, there were some good times and some good people that, that I was there to play with. And, you know, with, with Simon Jordan in charge, there was always a good Christmas party or a good uh, birthday party they used to throw, which was always a bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the yeah. most challenging things I imagine as a footballer is when you're brought in by one manager 
and that manager leaves. And, and as you've said there, it's it's a difficult period. You're ups at Palace, you're downs at Palace, but mm. you had a few loan spells and then ultimately your next permanent switch is to Plymouth Argyle, where you're, you're very highly regarded. Just sum up your time at Plymouth because it was a, a roller coaster, shall we say. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely was that. But no, I went to, I went, like I said, I had a few loans. I've done um, Forest, which, which was a really good loan. And unfortunately, I got injured there. Um, and then I'd done a loan to Plymouth, um, I think just before the end of my contract ran out at Palace. Um, and it went really well. I think the team were in relegation battle and I went in and, um, and we, we managed to stay up into the championship, um, which was fantastic, I think, because we'd you know, kind of been looking, you know, kind of favourites to, to maybe have gone down. Um, so when I've become a free agent, you know, I was able to make the move permanent. Um, fantastic part of the country. Um, you know, I had my, my kids were young while we was down there, some, you know, beaches and, and um, you know, the national parks and, and all the area around it was, was beautiful. Um, but I think going down there and then suddenly as, as the kind of the months went on, the realisation of the level of trouble that the club was in behind the scenes kind of started to become apparent um, and that was really disappointed because disappointing because there was nothing that was kind of there was going to be an answer to it it was a kind of case where we're in massive debt but what are we actually going to do about it and nothing kind of come to it and then it just kept getting worse and worse and then obviously relegation from the championship to, to league one and then you get a relegation you think okay chance for us to bounce back bit of success and then that didn't go well and then more stuff come out about the money and then we went into admin and it was just and for all the, the, the good people down there and the, the, the lovely place to live, it was a really tough time once the administration come in because it wasn't just about the football to a degree. It was about people losing their jobs, the town losing business and revenue. Um, and it was a really tough time. And there's a lot of, a lot of people down there that worked, businesses that lost a lot of money um, and people working for free that just helped that club get by and get through that tough time. And I think they deserve a lot of credit. Um, and ultimately, as well as the, the, the new owner, James Brent, that kind of come in and kind of save the club, they, they deserve so much credit um, for what they did in that, in that time when, when, you know, we was, on, it was, we was lower than a snake's belly. Um, so it was, it was a real, real tough period. You know, you, you know, I think it was 10 months, I think we went without getting paid. Um, and that was, a, that was a real disappointing, disappointing time, I think, for, for everyone involved with the club. You'd also Paul Sturrock when you come in, then Peter Reid mm. is in charge, things get really tricky yeah. as you mentioned, then you step in as, as, as manager and, and something that you should be very proud of, as, as I'm sure you're aware, because fans I'm sure tell you a lot, when you look at where you took over that club with the points deductions, let's be honest with you, most people said you'd no hope in hell of, mm. of keeping the, the, the club up in League 2, but you, you managed to do it and, and many people really describe you as someone that will be a crucial figure in the club's history not only at that time but also in the future because of how damaging it could have been for Plymouth had they went down uh yeah well, I think that's, that's nice if people say that and uh, but but I'm you know obviously very honoured and very proud of like you say that the achievement that we had like kind of staying away from relegation I think that was the biggest pressure ever I think because again like I said before it, it went from oh just a football club getting relegated into no it's going to affect the whole town the whole the whole city so to speak of of lost revenue people coming down to watch games there's going to be you know less money for hotels and, and so forth and so forth so that I, fe I definitely felt that pressure um, I felt really sorry for Peter Reid because he kind of come into the coming 
coming down to, to, to Plymouth thinking, right, I can get this going and we can maybe get a promotion and blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, well, we're, we're so much in debt and you've got to try and get rid of all these players and we need to save money. And it was just a, it was just a, a never ending hardship for, for Peter once he come down and really, really tough for him to, to be able to do anything with the, with the football club. Um, but yeah, it just kind of fell on my lap a little bit. I think I was captain at the time. I was 32 or 31 maybe. Um, and, and I was probably a classic older footballer that thinks I knew everything or thought I had a good idea about everything. But then obviously going into the management side, you, you quickly realise you don't um, and you have to learn on your feet and you have to learn quickly. Um, and luckily enough, we had, you know, we had a good squad and we was all together um, and able to get out of the, the kind of relegation fight that we was in. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's a proud moment to, to be able to do that. Um, looking back, was I too young and inexperienced for the job? Yes. Um, knowing what I know now in terms of my journey where I've learned a lot in the 18s and 21s and that kind of scenario. Um, but at the time, I was, I was very much the case of, you know, I'd rather try something and it doesn't go right rather than not try it and sit back and go, oh, maybe I should have done that kind of thing. So, um, like I said, I was lucky enough. I had really good people around me. The club as a whole was pulling together in the same way I said earlier about the community of Bournemouth. You have the similar feel with, with Plymouth and almost in some stretches because of the area and the, where it is location-wise in, in the country, almost a bigger a bigger bubble um, with everyone trying to push in the right direction. Um, and again, good days and bad days, but luckily we, we was able to, to keep our league status, which was uh, with about, I think about two or three games to go, which was, which was fantastic. And um, like I said, I've really fond memories. Like I said, both personally, I had, I had young kids down there growing up and, um, and from a professional side, it was something that definitely in a way scarred me to a degree, but I, you, an experienced scar, if that makes sense, that you learn so much from from a, a certain period of your life, um, to be able to use that going forward, um, in the future was was a massive benefit. You've you've learned so much during your career, as you mentioned. Just sum up what it was like then going on to play for Barnet under Edgar Davids, because <laughs> yeah. I've heard quite a few stories from, from <laughs> that spell. So just what was he like? Ah, uh, bro, well, what I. When I said Shaka is like what you see is what you get. I think with Dagdad is that it's very similar way. What you see is what you get. Um, but no, it, it was that period. I was kind of out of work. I was, I was still young enough. I think thirty three. I think. Um, and I think I thought you know what? Let's I try and go back playing. So Barnet was wasn't too far from where I lived and went down there and um, kind of joined in and and yeah, it was great, great experience. Do you know what I mean? To see him and his coaches, his Dutch coaches, and how they were doing things and. It was a nice guy. Yeah, he was in the same breadth that I spoke about earlier in terms of Ted and stuff, having certain demands and wanting certain things the right way. You know, Edgar was the, was the same. He wanted training to be a certain way, wanted the levels to be as high as possible. Obviously, it may have been a little bit more difficult getting that out of a squad that was in the conference at the time than maybe a team in the Championship or the Premier League. So, um, But he was very very driven in what he wanted to do. I mean, we didn't always see him. He wasn't always there at times. I think, you know, if he was sent off and suspended and stuff, you wouldn't see him for a couple of weeks. Um, and he'd leave it to his coaches to kind of take the training and stuff. But, but again, real group of lads, real good group of lads that, that, that had some good ability um, and, and just a great experience, you know, to, to see to see a man that had gone and played at Juventus and Ajax and Spurs and all these other places, massive, massive clubs, Holland, and played in world clubs to, to actually see him firsthand and see 
see his thought process and what he wanted out of out of players and people in his team. So, yeah, brilliant experience. Unfortunately, I think where I stopped playing, I don't think my body was ever the same um, and picked up loads of niggly injuries, which is a real nuisance and real frustration. But, um, yeah, great experiences. It's a real good setup there um, with the club, with the stadium and their training pitches and, and the owner um, has done a fantastic job. But, um, yeah, again, something, an experience that you you look back on and, and go, look, I'm, I'm rather I'd done that than, than not done it at all. I've got to ask you one last question about Davids in the sense that see when your manager gives himself the number one jersey, yeah. how, how does the dressing room react to that? Because it, at the time from the outside looking at it, you just think, surely not. Yeah, it was, oh, it's a strange, so I think when he come in, I wasn't there when he first come in, but from, from what I heard with, with the, the other players, it was kind of like he come in, Gave himself the number one, made himself captain, took all the corners and the free kicks. And it was that kind of scenario. And I think the lads are a little bit like, well, I get it. We respect him for what he's done and this and stuff. But there's still, you know, you can still let other people do certain things. So maybe was there a bit of resentment in that? Maybe. Was there a bit of, well, you know, you're doing all this and it may be not as better as I could do it or something? Maybe. Um, you know, maybe you just feel like I don't, someone of that higher calibre who's had that much experience and won that much doesn't need to do that um, whether he'd done it for a little bit of jest I'm not too sure um, but yeah yeah, it, it might not have always got them off on the right foot um, in terms of relationship between management and players um, but everyone respected him and, and he, he definitely wanted to play football the right way which the whole squad was really keen to do and I think we played some, some lovely football that, that year in that league in a difficult league um, in the conference so um yeah, it was it was definitely that, and there was definitely some off the cuff stuff. But it was a it was an experience all the same, and quite exciting. Pardon me. One of the other things I want to talk to you about is is Leighton Orient, and for me, when we talk about Leighton Orient, and when you took the job there, I mean, people talk about taking jobs in, in difficult circumstances. I mean, the circumstances that you take that job in are, are incredibly difficult, and not just for yourself, but for the whole club and the atmosphere because of of what happened to, obviously, Justin Edinburgh. And I know there was a caretaker before you came in, but just how difficult was that to to, to go in to manage Leighton Orient? Was it a case of the right club, but maybe just at the wrong time because of everything that was, was going on, which I can imagine for not only the players and the fans, but even for yourself was, was very hard to deal with? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head there. Um, yeah, right club, wrong time. I think every like, it, like I wasn't really looking. Um, like I said I was doing the loan thing, and it was um, I was really enjoying that. And then this come about, and again, you know, same scenario. Go for it, and if if you get it, great. If you don't, there's no, you know, you don't have to worry about it too much. So um, it ticked a lot of boxes. Location wise, it was near to where I live. Uh, good squad. Looked to have good backing. Looked to have seemed to have good people in there. Um, and I think it wasn't until, I think in both sides, to be honest, I think it wasn't until it came, like I went in, that they probably realised we didn't need someone. We didn't need to change it. We just, we could have, let's just leave it a little bit longer. I think it was just too soon. And I don't think they really realised that until until I went in there. Um, and obviously me going in there, it's always going to be difficult. I knew that. Um, but I'd always back myself. I was, I was miles ahead of where I was when I had the Plymouth, when I was Plymouth manager in terms of my, um, knowledge and understanding of the game and how to deliver stuff. So I was fully confident in my own ability to go in there 
um, that was no issues. But I just think it was just a whole club thing where it was like, this may be a little bit too soon, um, which is fully understandable. I get that. Um, and there was a lot of people there that were very close to Justin. It's a, a horrendous thing to happen and for people to have to deal with. And I think at the time, you, I was in that period of there was always a first. It was the first game without him, the first Christmas without him, the first going to his old club and stuff like that. And I think that was just too much, um, too much too soon at this at difficult time, um, which I fully understand. You know, I'm a human being as well. Of course, yes, I look back and go, look, I would, you know, love to have got more time and give me a chance to put some stamp on it. If you're going to employ someone, give them a period. Um, I don't think you do anything in a month, but do you know what I mean? I, I, I fully get the delicate nature of the whole situation looking back would I have taken it yeah I probably would because I would have backed myself the same time as I did when I made a decision in the first place so um but fully understand how the emotions and everything um would have been a uh, dictate the final outcome um of the certain situation um and uh yeah yeah I mean that's the way it is like I said you you, you go through life and you know, like I said before and previously, I'd rather try something and fail than, than sit back and, and just think, ah, oh, regret, I should have gone for that. So um, it's an experience, it wasn't a great one, um, but but you live and learn. You, you certainly do live and learn. And, and for yeah. the, the people at Bournemouth who are working with you now, you can only learn from every experience so that it can only help you in your, your day-to-day role with the club as well. And mm. just before I let you go, thank you so much for, for your time. I want to just ask you a few quick fire questions. Um, yeah, of course. Come on, Best player you've played with? Oh. Brian Giggs. Oh. oh. oh it could be Bale. It's either Giggs or Bale, I think. Um, toughest direct opponent? Oh, jeez. Um... I would say, I would say Frank Lampard, just because you just think you've got him and then you turn around and he scored and you're just like, I'm, I've, like I've had him for like 20 minutes and then he's turned around and he scores a goal and just think, like, how has he done that? Do you know what I mean? Um, so I'd say him, I would say as a group, the German national team, when we played him, they had like Schweinsteiger, Balak, um, closer. I think we played them away for Wales. And I, I think, actually, we come out and we drew nil-nil. I don't think I touched the ball for more than four times. And I, I literally chased shadows for about 90 minutes. And they were just so good, so big, so physical, so good on the ball. Um, they were really impressive, um, which was a which is a difficult night, but a great result. But I think in terms of playing, coming up against, I think the midfielders, I would say, like Frank Lambert definitely won. Alonso at Liverpool and Gerrard at Liverpool, definitely. Most underrated player you played with? Um, I, I would say Danny Gabadon. Um, obviously, fantastically well for Wales and for West Ham, but I think he was such a a composed, physical, um, tactical, understanding player. I don't think he fully got the full recognition um, that, he, that he probably deserved. I think had he been English, he would have played for England. Um, and he had a period of, of 2005, 2006, 2007, where he was, he was just immense for, for West Ham at the back. Um, lovely guy as well. Um, and just very gets about his business a lot in the, in the way back in the day, do you remember like a Des Walker, um, where he just kind of like unassuming, but never gets beat. He Gabs was in that kind of role and technically very good. Um, so I feel he, he probably didn't get the full, the full attributes that, that he deserved. 
who would you say was the, the best manager of your career in, in regards to getting the best out of you? Um, yeah, I'm really lucky to have different managers, but lots of different styles of manager, which I think has been great. Um, I think the, the best for me, I think, was probably Sean O'Driscoll. Um, just because I had him, I had him when I was younger, um, like under 15, 16s, youth team, and then obviously my first in the first team at Bournemouth, um, and I think he just gave me a great technical base um, in terms of being confident in my my technical ability to be able to pass the ball and and stuff. But just also a belief of, you know, if you're not doing well, just be brave and get on the ball again. He was very much, you know, I grew up a lot with. I don't care if you give the ball away, just make sure you go and get it again. Um, and he give you that self-belief, which which stood me in good stead, um, you know, going forward. I think when I got older and, you know, you start giving it away five times, I think your teammates are saying, stop showing for it because you keep giving it away all the time. So that was a little bit of a different scenario. But um, no, especially from a young age, you give, give me a lot of confidence to actually just go and play and just go and get the ball be confident and don't worry about the negatives. Um, so I'd definitely say Sean. And I think at the time, um, it would have been, what, 99, 2000. He was very ahead of his game in terms of tactically, um, in terms of formations we used to play. And, he, and he'd give us so much responsibility that like he would almost let us change formation on the pitch if we decided as players. Um, if we felt it wasn't going the way we wanted, he would, he would let us do it. You know, although he was the manager, he would just say, like, you know, I'd take the responsibility and and see the game, and if you feel you need to change it, you can do it, um, which was fantastic, which was great. And I, th I think the biggest testament to Sean is, I think a lot of the players that played at Bournemouth for that time, I think there's probably like 78% of them have all gone into management or coaching, I think, so uh, at some point in their, in their future careers. So I think that just shows you how much we learned from him in that period. Last question for you, Carl, is you mentioned earlier the fact that you're now the loans manager at Bournemouth, so the perfect mm. question to ask you. What advice would you give to, to young players listening to this who are who are playing the game now and, and, and are looking for advice? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing for me um, and the biggest thing I've seen when um, when I was doing the 18s and the 21s as well is, is um, dedication and attitude to football is easily said. It's even harder to do. Um, get, and I, my biggest thing is just give yourself the best opportunity. I think that's my biggest thing. So I used to say to our 18s, you know, you might not make it as a footballer, but you might, but it's a short period, a short career anyway. Just give yourself the best opportunity. So if that means you need to stay in, stay in. If that means you need to train better, train better. If that means you need to eat the right things. There's so many distractions today, I think, especially for the younger people um, in terms of what they see on their phones and blah, blah, blah. I just think give yourself the best chance. Um, and I think that's the hardest thing to do because I think a lot, of, like I said, there's a lot of distractions, friends and social media and telly and, you know, driving their cars or whatever it is, give yourself the best chance. Just do everything right. If you do everything right for a year and you end up not making it as a football, at least you can sit back and go, actually, I've done everything I could and I couldn't make it. Don't be one of them people that that's... 30 years down the line and goes, ah, I, I could have made it. I was amazing. But, you know, I like to drink too much or I like to go out too much. Do you know what I mean? Don't be that person because no one cares about that person. Just give yourself the best chance. And I think that's, that's, that's the best thing for me. You, you have an opportunity, try and take it, you know. Um, and there's so many things to help younger players these days in terms of nutritional advice, um, data, um, people to talk to if you, you need um, you know 
psychologist to help if you've got certain issues during the game. There's so much of that at hand and readiness at hand, you know, through the internet and through PFA and clubs and academies and stuff that they've got every chance to succeed. So don't turn that down. I think that's, that, that is my biggest thing. Just give yourself the best opportunity. Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you and the club all the very best for the future. And I just want to say again, thank you so much for your time. No, Cam, it's been great. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song